confirm. Good morning. My name is Sterney Altas, and I'm a counselor and life coach and member of the ACA. In my work, I love exploring new ideas and resources and hearing about my colleagues who are doing an excellent job extending themselves beyond their work in the community. Today, I have the distinct privilege of introducing Mrs. Nikki Kinslinger, who has been an example to the Sydney Jewish community in regards to being a fashion editor, a blogger, an observant Jewish mom of three boys, and a very, very influential woman on so many levels. Nikki, you and Jeremy bring light and help so many who need love and warmth. I'd like to welcome you and thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, your specialties are in fashion style and editing and uh, specifically in the editorial and digital content spaces. Can you tell me about your background in Australia and specifically how you came to connect with fashion? Sure, so um, I grew up, I'm born and bred a country girl. I was born in regional New South Wales in a place called Dubbo. Um, and I lived there until I finished high school. I left when I was 18, literally the, the minute that I could, <laughs> minutes after my last HSE exam, I was on the road. Um, and I came to Sydney where I found a new life here. I uh, moved here with a couple of girlfriends. We all shacked up together and, you know, I was just living out my late teens and early 20s. Um, I put university on hold because I just needed a bit of a break from academia for a while because it wasn't exactly my forte when I was younger. Um, and from there, I just, you know, built solid relationships, friendships, and um, ended up working in the retail space, actually. I was working at a store in Bondi Junction. And from there, through that, I decided that I wanted to pursue a career. Actually, I wanted to pursue a career in fashion design, but to get into the course, it was um, like a first in, first serve situation and I kept missing out on this course. So I pivoted a little bit and decided, you know, I was 22 at the time. So I, I was able to, or maybe 21, I was able to apply um, to university as a mature age student. So I decided fashion journalism was where I wanted to go um, because it was still within that realm. And so I did a bridging course. I got myself into a really highly accredited university and a really hard course that I would never have gotten into straight out of high school. Um, and I started a journalism degree. At the same time, I knew that fashion was where I wanted to go. And if you had asked any of my lecturers at the time, they would have told you that fashion journalism is a bit of an oxymoron and that they weren't exactly supportive of that dream. But I took it upon myself to then um, uh, find an internship at the time it was at Cosmopolitan magazine. Mm -hmm. And so while I was studying, I was also doing an internship within the fashion department at Cosmopolitan magazine. From there, my studies once again kind of fell to the wayside. I got about halfway through that degree and I um, wasn't quite coping anymore. And at the same time, an offer was made to me to step up from an intern position to a more of a full-time position, but still at like, you know, bottom of the rung at, um, on the Cosmo fashion team. 
And from there, I just never went back to uni. <laughs> and I kind of worked my way back up through the ranks. And then right. I moved over to different magazines and then into the digital platforms. Beautiful. So just for our listeners, Cosmo was your first editorial job. Yes. Cosmopolitan, I was an intern there, um, which is like the lowest possible position you can take at a magazine of any kind because you're stuck in the fashion cupboard and all you're doing all day is taking stock and sending stock back and fetching coffees. I mean, you did get to assist on photo shoots and all that kind of thing. And there was a lot of learning on the job, um, but I loved it because I was still studying. So I wasn't in a rush, you know, I knew my place. I, I was, I think I had the advantage of being a bit older than say some of the interns that came in for me once I was a bit higher up, you know, I wasn't straight out of school. I had my wits about me. I was socially aware. I knew where, um, where I stood and what my place was. And I was happy to, you know, Toe the line and, and be the shepherd. So, <laughs> so this is all happening in the eastern suburbs in Sydney. So how did you end up with a lovely Australian Jewish husband? Well, that retail store that I mentioned before, um, I worked with a Jewish boy there. And he had some friends that used to come and visit all the time. And we all kind of had the same, like I ended up socializing with them, let's just say. Um, and at the time, my, um, my now husband, back then he was a friend of the person that I worked with and they were trying to start a um, denim line, a jeans label. And so the friend that I worked with called me one day and he's like my two buddies they're trying to start this denim label they they got some samples doesn't fit anyone and I told them I know this really petite girl <laughs> who they would fit and will you model for them and I said absolutely no way not not happening um and eventually they twisted my arm he said great we'll pick you up after work <laughs> mm -hmm. so they came and they took some photos of me and there were these two guys and one of them ended up being my husband so we stayed friends for a very long time um, and I guess, you know, I met him and I met his best friend who he was doing it with and they introduced me to a whole other bunch of Jewish people. And then, you know, as our friendship grew, my interest and love of Judaism also grew as well. That is beautiful. Beautiful. Well, it was certainly Bashert. Yeah, 100%. So industry was your shotgun, right? Right, exactly. He said, um, my husband always says that um, the jeans label didn't go anywhere, but he got what he, what he needed from it. And that was That's it. Hashem <laughs> yeah. has many ways to get That's people together. Right. <laughs> so Nikki, in your experience, can you tell me with your background in fashion, can you connect that with Torah femininity, with a Jewish woman's sense of, you know, dressing beautifully and looking the part, but right. following the Torah guidelines? Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's different for everyone. And for me personally, when I was on the road to conversion and the laws of modesty were starting to become something that I needed to address and um, take upon myself. At the same time, I was also reaching this um, pivotal moment in my career where I was starting to not be the intern and I was taking, you know, going up a rung and up a rung. And so my career was developing at the same time as my personal life. So for me, it was a real journey of discovery in terms of, you know, these laws of modesty and how they were going to apply to me as um, a potentially from Jewish woman. Yeah. So it, it made me look deeper into um, 
my skill set for one, you know, what I could, how I could still represent myself and who I am on the inside, um, on the, like on the outside, you know, and not feel like, oh, I have to completely change my style just to fit this way of life, this Jewish way of life. Um, but it did also help me, you know, the flip side of that was that it helped me, I was very much a tomboy back then. And it helped me tap into this feminine side of myself that I had ne I'd pretty much rejected up until that point. You know, skirts were not for me, anything feminine or flowery. And, I'm, and I, I think that happens with age also that we discover our feminine side. But, um, you know, it was for me finding a balance of still t staying true to that tomboy inside of me and wearing clothes that reflected that side of me and still feeling cool and edgy and fashionable, but also um, discovering this whole new, beautiful feminine side that the Jewish woman was going to bring out of me that I didn't even know existed. Wow, that's beautiful. I love how you came to that and it was like an involvement. It just, it happened. Right. It's beautiful. Yeah, a lot of people always ask me, you know, the Shabbos tables, like, how do you find that? How do you find with this transition? Like you work in fashion, how are you going to make it work? Like you're going to have to change so much of yourself. And I always said, you know, if anything, this is my, this is my skill set. And if, if I can't get this, if I can't figure this out, then I'm probably not very good at my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely nailed it because you are a beautiful example in our community of someone who connects fashion forward and SNIAT and just being a real example of that. And I think you're an example for all of our teenagers and all the up and coming bloggers in the firm world that a woman who worked for Cosmo, Dolly Magazine can come to accept, embrace Judaism yeah. and SNIAT and yeah. bring that into the limelight, which is beautiful. Yeah. So Nikki, can I ask, in your experience, now you've got the three boys and you've lived in the community for a number of years, what do you think is the most challenging issue facing couples or families today? Oh, I, for me, from my experience, from, from the people that I've spoken to, um, from the crowds that I've addressed, I think it is about for, it's about finding balance for a lot of people and this is something that's taken me a long time to figure out I feel like for the men it's not as um it doesn't tear them apart as much as it does for women like for me I've really had to grapple with a lot of things mm -hmm. and so I think for couples I think it's finding their sweet spot of living the life that they want to live but also upholding their religious or Torah values and not feeling like they're going to be judged or shunned in any way from either um, lane, you know, whatever lane they live in, that they can fuse all of that together. I find that, especially for me, as someone who came to this and someone who converted, I obviously speak to a lot of people going through the conversion process, and they're made to feel like it's a, a very black and white situation and that it has to be all or nothing. Yeah. And that if you don't connect to one thing, then there's no point trying to connect to anything else. And it's either you're religious or you're not. And religion looks one way and acts one way and, and um, socializes in one way. And then it's the rest of us. And I just don't think it has to be like that. And I think there is pressure from the community, um, whether we realize it or not, or whether it's on purpose or not. Um, but I also think it's a lot of lack of confidence in 
people individually and then themselves as a couple. And I think it's just a discussion that the couple needs to have. Sit down and talk about, okay, what do we feel about this? What do we really connect to that? Do we want to represent this community or that community? Do we even really care about any of this stuff? Like what's going to enrich our lives? What's going to make us love Judaism more and not resent it? Beautiful. That is so true and so important for the young couples coming in. They want to uphold their values of Judaism. And also, you know, many of them uh, feel that they have to have buy-in completely or nothing, which, you know, we grow, we grow. And if someone is struggling, whatever you can do now, it's great and viewed to grow. There's yeah. no end, you know, everyone's always growing. Yeah. So what would be some points that you took away from your employment in the magazine or fashion experience that we could take away to help us in our employment or relationships? Were there some challenges that you came, that you were overcome in uh, your experience? Oh, yes, <laughs> I would say patience is a virtue. Um, I think it's, you know, like I said before, I was very happy to um, just kind of slowly play out my role at the bottom of the food chain when, when I was, you know, coming into the industry. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't quite grasp anymore, especially yeah. like the younger yeah. kids. They just think it's, it's straight to the top because they – we're more connected now. We see these amazing success stories of like from nothing to everything. And it's really hard to feel like you're going to, um, to feel like you have to put in the hard yards to see any sort of success. Like if it's not happening straight away, then it's never going to happen. And it's just not the case. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing for me. I mean, I grew up in the country and maybe we have a very different mindset out there, but, um, you know, we're not afraid of a bit of hard work and and um, pulling our bootstraps up and just getting on with it and cracking on. Yeah. But, um, and I think that really helped me when I was coming into the industry. But I think that's also something that people can take into their relationships now is that, you know, we're living in a world where... Um, self like gratification can happen instantly and if you don't get that it can feel like a failure but the reality is that that's not reality you know you can get all those likes on instagram you can get all those followers you can pay for followers if you want you know you can you can um have you know even things like you find your you find your um besheret and and you're engaged and all of a sudden all the limelight's on you or, you know, it's like these instant things where it's like pow, 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 pow. You can share with the whole world. We're so connected and people forget that everything takes time and you just got to have patience. Patience is a virtue and you just got to trust the process. I love what you said. I think that is so true. Spot on instant gratification, the hard yards, the work that you put in which is part of the process and the appreciation you have for the hard work you put in is so important and lost on this generation. It's gotta be instant. If I don't rise to the top now, I'm a failure. If I don't have a million likes, I'm a failure. No, it's a gradual process. In marriage, grow together. We reach a beautiful place, but it's work. And it's constant work. You can't just expect it to happen. And it's not just, you know, I find that in our in our generation, the young generation, if it's not working, dispose, change, switch jobs, switch switch careers, switch um, studies, because it didn't work. Instead of feasting and having resilience and coming out on top, all those successful stories are people who faced adversity and worked at it. 
and they yes. had failures a number of times in the beginning. Yeah. And I think also in relationships, I think a lot of people don't realize that you and your spouse don't have to hold the same views, you know, per se. It's helpful, but you can respectfully agree to disagree and respect the other person's opinion and just have discussions about it and hope that one day you evolve. I mean, I'm not saying as if like some, like if it's toxic, then no, there's no room for that. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about little things, you know, like what time you think the kids should go to bed or, or how, how your parenting, what your parenting um, skills is going to be or the way you, you um, parent your children mm-hmm. or your sneeze levels. You know, my husband doesn't want to wear tits. He just hasn't got there yet. We've been married for six and a half years. He's tried it on and off. He just isn't there. Like, what am I going to do? Mm. It's not, you know, I can't force anything on him. He can't force anything on me. I can tell him day after day that I really, really, I really grapple with, with, covering my hair and I really really think I should just be able to wear pants (laughs) like I just you know those are my gripes and I'm allowed to have those gripes he doesn't tell me that I'm lesser than for for feeling that way or that I'm not I'm not tapping in enough or I'm not connected enough or I'm missing the point completely he just Mm -hmm. hears me out and respects where I'm at with it that's so important because you know as a college teacher, we often tell the girls, you are not your husband's rabbi or mashbia. He has a mashbia or rabbi to tell him that. Yeah. We could be supportive, but we can't bring them to the place that they have to work on. Exactly. We can let them know it's important to us in a gentle way, but yeah. we can't or shouldn't be the one to follow up, follow through, make sure, micromanage. We stay on our page. Yeah. They are on their page as far as we do the best we can. We have the same ideals and values for the children, but sometimes one of us is growing and the other one hasn't yet reached that. And at other times the other one's growing. And sometimes it's frustrating because you see the light and you want to share it and they're not there yet or for a while. And eventually it's going to seep in. Yeah. But um, it's so many things like modeling. Yeah. I've had, you know, really heated discussions at Shabbos tables about, feminism and race and you know big big topics and I've had everyone at my Shabbos table playing devil's advocate and me being like how can you people say this stuff and then a year later waking up to messages I know that's ridiculous we sleep in the same bed but waking up to messages from my husband who's been up scrolling late at night sending me articles saying that Shabbos that we had a year ago I get what you're saying now I finally get um, it. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Live and let live, but yep. you know, plant seeds where you can, and just hope that you know. Yeah, and I, for me personally, it's not. It's it's also Judaism. You know, growing, and everyone has their ways of growth and where they're going, but also health and fitness and looking yeah. after yourself. And yeah. if you believe strongly about something and the other partner isn't there yet, you can schlep them out of the house for walks as much as you want. You yeah. can bring them all the healthy drinks. But if, it, if they haven't reached that conclusion by themselves, exactly. they're still in that preconception stage of the idea. Yeah. They're not there yet. Um, you know, it, it's not going to work. They yeah. have to get there. You can model. You can be yeah. the best example and live your best life yeah. and hope that they follow. And same with kids. They'll copy what you do more than what you say, and it will come the right time. I'm talking right. to myself loud and clear. Yeah. But it's very, very yeah. important. Yeah. I love that. I love that we can just see that on every stage of a marriage or in a relationship. You see that someone might be holding at one level, the other one is not there yet. 
The only way you're going to get them there is through modeling and through love. By pushing, it's just going to backfire. 100%. And then eventually when they get there... Yeah, you'll you'll feel frustrated with them. You'll feel frustrated with yourself. And you'll take it so personally. You'll be like, why aren't you hearing me? Do you not respect me enough? Because we like to make it about ourselves. (laughs) Do you not respect me enough that you will not do this thing that I am telling you is good for you? Yeah, exactly. Never about you. And that's the avoda. That's the avoda. You know, Hashem puts people together to help each other grow. And sometimes the growth is not on the same level, but eventually we come to the place that we understand why we're put together and why that yeah. avoda is. Yeah. So tell me, I'm curious to know, for young moms particularly, right. with all the advancements in mental health and government programs, and you know, even in the community, we've set up you know different functions to help bring issues out to the open and find help and give focus to people who may not know where help exists. Why are young moms still struggling so much, in your opinion? Dare I say the P word? <laughs> the patriarchy. <laughs> Dare I say it? I think we I think it's gonna take a long time for the mindset to shift. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm really active on social media and I see that there are a lot of these wonderful discussions happening, but I think there are some patriarchal things at the core that are, that have us doubting ourselves or putting unnecessary pressure on ourselves or making assumptions about what other people think about us. Um, and I think until people completely change the way they view women, women in the workforce, women at home, women who want to get married, who don't want to get married, um, who want to have children, who don't want to have children, until that whole narrative is muddled up and put back together in a more or in a less toxic way and in a more flourishing way, then we're always going to have problems. And, Mm. you know, there are so many discussions that people think are taboo or they think if you bring it up that you're shedding light on something that maybe wouldn't exist otherwise, you know, just keep, keep sweeping things under the rug. And it's just not it's not sustainable. Mm. You know, we all have big feelings, big thoughts, curiosities. Um, and, and when those feelings aren't made to feel valid, mm. um, it can be a huge disservice, not only to our mental health, but to our confidence, to our relationships, to the way we um, treat others, to our um, empathetic sides. It's just, it's so toxic that mm. a huge shakeup needs to happen. And I think wow. especially in, in, the, in the Jewish community and the religious community. Sure. So can I ask, um, are you wondering about the young moms who perhaps have a lot of pressure following influencers and fashionistas before going into motherhood? So they've got all these expectations of how they have to look, how they have to feel, how they have to act right after birth. It's not, yeah. it's not healthy. It's not healthy. I think, you know, I see a lot of these conversations on Instagram about body and, and style. And, and, and for me, I kind of, I'm past that stage of my life. And to be honest, I never really um, grappled with that. So it wasn't such a big burden on me because I was quite, comp- like, you know, my, my interest, my genuine interest was 
in anything aesthetic really you know fashion interiors anything so I when something when you know something you know deeply it comes very naturally to you so so that thank god has never been my Achilles heel but I do see so many people talking about it and I do understand and I do realize that it is a problem for many for me what I think the biggest problem is like forget all the material stuff it's that young parents or not even young parents maybe especially young parents because maybe they're not mature enough yet to understand um the difference between what's important and what's just for show mm -hmm. but I think um for me, what I really genuinely care about is first time parents who feel the pressure to jump straight back into a normal life mm -hmm. and who feel like they need to have every visitor and let everyone hold their baby and every and be at shul, you know, every Shabbos and and host straight after having, you know, and you know, and not calling on, I mean, thank God in our community we have these amazing meal trains set up and, and we have people delivering food all the time and really we're surrounded by maternal women, which is such a blessing. But I still see girls who just think they need to dive straight back in. And I would say to them, stop. <laughs> you just carried a child for nine months. You just birthed it whatever way, whatever, like whether it was beautiful, traumatic, you know, um, cesarean or otherwise it's still a you just went through a huge thing you need to take a beat sit down stay on the couch stay in your bed curl up bond with that baby nurse or bottle feed or do whatever you need to do and just shut everyone else out and stop feeling like you need to keep up with the joneses because motherhood is so tough and that first one is it's like I just remember that feeling of feeling like if I take my baby outside, he might die. <laughs> Did you ever mm. have that feeling mm. like the air might pollute his lungs or like I just was so dramatic about everything. I just had mm. such hardcore anxiety and I didn't know if I was feeding him enough. I had feeding issues and at nighttime I was so scared of being the only one awake with him and, and you know, for a lot of things, thing, and he was a very, my baby was very easy baby, the first one that I had, but you just it's a universal thing that first time parents or postpartum women have these anxieties on top of being completely exhausted, not knowing their bodies anymore because they're physically, they don't look the same. Um, and being, you know, looking out, being trapped and looking outside and being like, everyone's just moving around, doing what they want to do, coming and going, husbands especially, you know, to see him just pick up his keys in his wallet and go back to work or go hang out, you know, go to this, go to that. And for you, it's like, oh, I can't even imagine the ease of just picking up and going out the house now. It's so interesting. It's interesting because I remember my grandfather, yeah. uh, a chassid, and he used to tell my mother and, and her sisters, for 30 days after birth, do not go out of the house. You need to rest. They called it a kimpator. And in some communities in Brooklyn and others, they have homes for kimpator for, for two weeks. They don't have their own kids. Their kids got taken out by sisters yeah, yeah. or by siblings and they rest for two weeks in a special home. You know what? Yeah. It's true. It definitely makes a difference. I think we have way yeah. too much pressure on us to get out there, to show the baby, to be in public. It's not right. Yeah. I once saw a woman going shopping. She said she had a baby three days ago. She was shopping oh with the baby God. on her chest. That makes me, 
I felt so bad. I'm like, you should be in bed sleeping and bothered yeah. with this baby. But unfortunately, yeah. the pressure to look a certain way and to be out there and as, as if everything's perfect right away yeah. is so strong and, and it's it's so damaging. Yeah. So that that brings me to, you know, uh, for young families, etc. Do you think um, we do have a, thank God, a beautiful community and, and there are meals and everything, but do you think that some sort of other support would be uh, something that we should look at? Like, is there something that we haven't yet accessed that would be a support? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always, you know, if you look hard enough, you're always going to find things that you can improve on and that you can do better and that you can go above and beyond for. Yeah. I yeah. think... Um, I think educating the spouses, yes. the husbands, would yes. probably be something that would be very smart. Especially yes. um, yes. going to shul and getting drunk all of Shabbos and coming home to your wife who's been stuck at home with a baby by herself or, you know, expected to host after having a baby or... Even, you know, forget all of that, even just the day-to-day stuff of like what your wife is feeling. You know what I get really angry about is this idea that once a woman has a child, that things like a shower and going and getting her nails done for quickly, like, you know, 20 minutes or, or uh, eating is, is self-care. Yeah. That's yeah. not self-care. That's yeah. a basic human right. Absolutely. Have a true. Bit of time to have, have a shower every morning and to have food in your belly is not self-care. And just because you gave birth and you now have to take care of this other human being doesn't mean that all of your basic human needs mm-hmm. fall by the wayside. And the only other person in your home or within your family, whether it's, you know, your if you're lucky enough to have your in-laws or your parents live close by, the only other person who can help make that happen is your spouse. And if they don't understand the gravity of that responsibility, then they haven't worked hard enough, in my opinion. And they haven't done the work and they haven't had people tell them what they should and shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Telling your wife that you're going for a drive in the new car when it's bath time for the baby because, well, I'm not here to do anything anyway, because like he's going to feed in a minute. So, you know, you don't really need me anymore. I'm just going to go out and do what I want to do or go see my mates. I mean, this is all pre-COVID. Go see my mates or, you know, that's not what you do. Just Absolutely. Because, just because the baby is completely reliant on for the first few months doesn't mean you nil and void. And also it's going to come back to bite them because, if you're not providing self-care as a mom to yourself or the basic human rights, as you said, eating, sleeping, having a break, getting out and have fresh air for a little bit, you're not going to be your best mom. You're not going to be the best person to yourself, to your spouse. And it ends up falling apart. Whereas if a little bit of effort is put in to make the person feel, you know, go and eat now, I'll hold the baby or go to sleep now for a half hour. You know, the mates can wait, the car can wait you're going to come out of it so much better, so much happier that yeah. by that point you will be flourishing and then they can have what they want. And there's nobody feeling resentful. hundred percent, hundred percent. That is so important, Nikki. Yes. I, I don't even think, I mean, I've said it to my husband so many times after having a baby, it doesn't take much to impress me. It yeah. really doesn't. All you got to do is get up with the kid in the morning 
and like, don't ask, <laughs> don't ask, do you want me to get the baby? Just go get the baby. Why you got to ask me? Why you got to put it on me and make me feel like I'm the bad guy if I have to tell you that I want to sleep and you got to go get the baby? No, go get the baby, go downstairs, make me a cup of tea, bring it up to my bedside and shut the door. That will benefit you in so many ways you have no idea and it's not that hard that will set me up for my whole day I'll come downstairs and be like "Woo! thanks for that hour you just gave me I'm ready to go what can we do you want me to make you some eggs let's do it you know like absolutely that's, that's just how I am but if I if I'm the one that's been up with the baby all night and I'm the one who's getting up at five six in the morning because the baby won't resettle and you're not coming down till two three hours after that then we've got issues. You know, it's so interesting you say that because men often want to know what's the big secret to Shalom Bayev or to more intimacy or whatever it is. I was once in Bonnet Junction in a doctor's office and there was a book on the wall. It had no word, just picture. It said, how to make your wife happy or get her in the mood or whatever it was. And literally one page was a guy setting the dishwasher. The next page, he was giving a kid a bath. The third page, he was bringing tea to his wife. The fourth page, he was just shoveling up a little bit of dust on the floor. It's the small things they add up, you know, a cup of coffee in the morning or just, hi, how are you? How was your day? And sitting down for 15 minutes, it goes such a long way. As soon as you get get home, give me the baby, go take half an hour just to breathe for a minute. And then you're his the whole day. You know, in America, we used to have a, a radio station 10, 10 wins. You give us 10 minutes, we'll give you the world. And I always say to my husband, 10 minutes and I'll be all yours, you know, just me. And it goes both ways. Also, he's like, well, can I have 10 minutes? Of course, you know, to just resettle after work, change gears. That also goes, but I hear you. And as a new mother and even going through all the stages of motherhood, it's so important to download with each other and to spend that time. And of course, date night, you know, that's my big thing. Um, It's very well worth all the investment. Um, I also think it's really important that men understand that just because they do those things doesn't make them some like king sitting on top of it. It doesn't make you like some revolutionary, amazing, superhuman person. It just makes you a decent person. Do you know what I mean? I feel like we we have such high expectations of like what it means to be a great spouse or a great father when really when you're standing under that chuppah and you're about to like connect your souls and become one person then you should be from that kind of perspective you should be caring just as much about me as you care about yourself because we're one now so I don't need to thank you every time you clean up your own dish when the only other because if you think about it the only other person in this house that's capable of doing that job is me <laughs> so right. it's me against right. you at this point so right. why should I have to be held to some higher standard do you know what I mean I like, know exactly we, what you mean but it does get it does get tricky because if we do think and give positive regard, regard we'll get more of it even when though I'm, really they should be doing that anyway absolutely or, or the thanks should just go both ways Absolutely. I don't 100%. mind. Thank you. I always say thank you, but I, you know, I don't hear it as much as I say it. We need it. Also, I have a very interesting comment to make here. I had a Russian babysitter for many years and she always said, men love with their eyes, women with their ears. We just yeah. want to hear it. It hear will it. go right to our heart. Yeah. Women love words of affirmation. It's one of the five love languages that we don't, yeah. it's, it's not valued enough in society. Women need to hear it. Mothers need yeah. to hear it. Everyone needs to hear it. But of course, 
mums, that is how we love. We love to hear the feedback, the appreciation, the acknowledgement. Yes. And then we're right. You know, it's, it's not going to be the big fat gift or the diamond ring. No, we just want to hear the little words every single day. Right. It's so important. I mean, yes. I think guys need it for a different reason. They need it for their ego and for reassurance to know that they're on the right track and that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and, and it's hard sometimes when I hear these things, like when I hear terms like, um, oh, daddy daycare or where's, where's your husband? Is he babysitting? No, he's not babysitting. He's being a father. He's fathering because I am currently unable to be there right now. Like someone's going to take care of the baby and I didn't make the baby all by myself. Yep. (laughs) You know, just a little, we don't need to put them for very basic things. We can thank mm. them and be gracious and be appreciative and be like, wow, I got so lucky that I have another human on my side who understands that we share this load, but we don't need to like put them on a pedestal for it. I don't think. You know what? I hear what you're saying, but I do think for a lot of guys, the only way to reinforce it is to put them on a pedestal. So we have to tell, you know what? Let's look at what the end result will be. Will we get more of it? Yeah. Whatever it takes, right? That's my thing, whatever it takes. Can I just ask you um, on a slightly different note? Yeah. I understand you might be the only Jewish person that people may know in the country. Right. Dubbo, I don't know much about Dubbo, but I know it's far and it's beautiful and it's country-esque. I'm just wondering, um, can you expand on that? Do people meet you when you visit and ask you questions? Is it unusual to see a Jewish person in Dubbo? Um, yes, it is unusual. There's no Jewish community in Dubbo. Dubbo is inland. It's um, it's northwest from Sydney. So it's up a little bit higher and it's very far inland. It's about a five, five and a half hour drive from where we live. Um, and yeah, there's no Jews in Dubbo. They're, they're actually, once I started my conversion and I was telling one of my greatest friends, guy friends from Dubbo, we used to live on the same street, um, and he was kind of like, you know, one of those friends that was part of the family um, would just kind of walk in the back door and be like, mom would be like, oh, hi, Gav. Turns out, you know, I'm telling him that I'm converting. And he's like, you know, technically I'm Jewish. And I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, my mom's Jewish. And oh, wow. I'm like, that means you are Jewish. And so he's like, yeah, my grandmother was fully religious. My mom married out. And I was like, of all the people I could have been great, great friends with in Dubbo, like the only other Jew in Dubbo. And he lived on my street and we were like the closest of friends. So anyway, you know, once he found out about my journey, he actually was quite inspired. I think he was trying to find birthright, which didn't end up happening, but you know, it ignited something in him. But um, I think people are curious about it. It's not, we don't get back there so much um, anymore. And when we do, it really is just with my family. But when we've gone to weddings and things of friends and, um, you know, old friends from school and their new partners or, or the families of the bride and groom, they're quite inquisitive, you know, because they see us keeping Shabbos, you know, making those things work. You know, it's, we're going to a wedding, but we're still keeping Shabbos. Um, and they are quite inquisitive and they see us eating our own, you know, crackers and hummus instead of the, <laughs> instead yeah. of the, the catering. And that kind of um, piques a lot of interest and people get to talking and, you know, oh, I knew a Jew once and, you know, tech- and my auntie was Jewish and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, people, people are curious. I think also because out there, you know, you, it's a very, um, I wouldn't say like practicing Christian 
sort of area, but Christianity is the kind of main monotheistic um, presence out there in terms of churches and private schools and that kind of thing, Catholicism, Anglicanism. So I think they're just curious, probably the same curiosities that I had as a young girl of like what the difference is because they've heard about the Jews before they know a little bit about it they know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament so there's kind of those sorts of like so what does it mean to be you versus what it means to be me type thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you're the shlucha to Dabo. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you come in with your kosher food your beautiful yeah, exactly. clothing <laughs> the, ki- yeah. the boys are the kippas it's beautiful yeah yeah definitely a point of interest totally. tell me um Nikki just before we end, I was wondering, with all your experiences, and you've been on, you know, such a beautiful journey with fashion and with Judaism and being a mother of three beautiful, lively boys. Do you have some good advice for young people going into marriage? Like, what would you like to tell them if you could? Oh, gosh, from, I mean, aside from all the other things that we've spoken about in terms of, you know, expectations and patience and um, contribution, mm-hmm. um, I would like to tell them that you don't have to lose yourself in your marriage mm-hmm. and you don't have to lose yourself in your Judaism either and that you can, um, you can keep every single part of you alive that was once there because you will get to a point after however many years, I don't know, I think they call it a seven-year itch, don't they? I'm not quite there yet. But where you start kind of looking back and you think, oh, geez, and you see an extra wrinkle or an extra or an extra line or you see a photo that pops up and maybe it was you and your now spouse, you know, at a different time in your lives and you were living large. And it's really easy to um, feel like you have lost a huge mm. chunk of yourself. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be that way, but I can say it does take work and actively tapping into parts of yourself the more you go on to keep those parts alive. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. You know, like become, I've, I've become a mum now and I've given up my career and that burns sometimes. And I really feel like even though I love being a mom and I love my kids and I can't really even imagine having the brain space or the energy to do anything other than what I'm doing right now, creatively, it's hard for me to, you know, see people who I used to work with flourishing in their careers and I'm, I've taken on this different path. But that doesn't have to mean that I've lost that part of myself. It just means I need to find other ways to hone it and nurture it. And look what you've produced. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, a few more magazines came out with their help, but you've got three beautiful boys and a family and you can always tap back into it. You haven't lost your edge. On the contrary, you've become, you know, a mom with more edge and more experience. And you've got a whole big bag of experience now to bring back to the table when you're ready. I feel like I have a lot lot more important stuff to say now than I did maybe five or six years ago, 100%. Well, then maybe they're not going to take you back as a fashion editor but maybe yeah, as a journalist on yeah. motherhood and the meaning of motherhood maybe so <laughs> I mean I did use social media a lot I was saying this to a friend today I, I was kind of writing some stuff on there today and she's like you that's it you have to start a blog you have to write a book you have to do something you write so well I was like you know what I love to write but there's a reason I didn't finish my degree and also now I I don't have the environment uh, like supporting me t- for me to be able to tap in and write these long winded 
well-educated posts. I can write on Instagram and be very articulate, get in, get out, say what I need to say, and then <laughs> hot foot it out and of the people. And actually people like that. I think people's yeah. attention spans are way shorter. Like yeah. hey, I used to blog and write a whole bunch of things, but you know what? Um, it's very interesting because now people don't have the same headspace. So actually what you're yeah. doing is probably more um, digested and yeah. people can duck in and duck out. Yeah. And one last thing, I think it's so important that you and Jeremy are examples of volunteering, of giving time to people and finding meaning in volunteering, I think is so important, giving back, giving back to the community, but you're really giving to yourself because the, the beauty and the richness that you tap into is so special. Yeah. Can you yeah. elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, my husband um, volunteers his time for one of the Jewish schools here. Um, I have helped with bus mitzvah programs and you know, doing talks like this, um, addressing different kahilas, just about whatever they want to talk to me about. I love talking to the young girls because I feel like I kind of have a bit of life perspective of someone who grew up one way and tapped into this at some stage, you know, made this a choice. And so I feel like I have a lot to share and a lot to share that I wish, um, not even as a religious girl, but as I wish someone had told me as a teenager about relationships and love and intimacy and all of those types of things. Um, and I think if you're passionate about something and you can find a way to um, impart that on your community or, or find a, a solid group of people who need help in any certain area and you feel like you can contribute to, um, to that, then you should absolutely do it because, you know, at, it's really easy and for me especially and especially as a mum, it's really easy to get stuck in your routines and get stuck in a bit of a rut and find it hard to pull yourself out to do anything other than what you're doing. You kind of always feel like your cup is full, but you know what they say about um, ask a busy person to, if you want something done, ask a busy person to do Absolutely. it. It's so true, but I do totally understand and, and can relate to that idea of just being like, um, I'm so spent I can't give any more of myself but if you just but every time I've pushed through and connected and done the thing or done the talk or gone and slept all my clothes to go and show bus mitzvah girls how to dress sneers or style an outfit or you know stayed up late to do me yeah it made me feel better after it and I think you can't do um hold on to those feelings because it's very easy to get dragged down by your cup being too full and like being stuck in a routine. It's yes. like, it's like I can compare it to like quitting a bad habit, you know, like when you're quitting something and then you, you're like, Oh, I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it, but I really want to do it. And then you wake up the next day having not done the bad thing. And you're like, I'm so glad I didn't do that. It's like a similar feeling. Like, yes, I've, I've bettered myself for not doing that thing. Yeah, and, and I the must more say, you do that, the, stronger, the stronger you get. And I must say that you've definitely made a big influence. I know on my previous bat mitzvah groups that you've come on, some of these girls had no yeah. connection with Judaism or very little, and your story, your story touched them deeply. So um, I just wanted to say that to you, and you know, to let you know that you're doing an amazing job and that you're doing a fantastic 
Um, but just being an example of who you are, you're an example of a walking, talking example of pride in your Yiddishkeit, pride in your Judaism, pride in your femininity, at the same time, using your own internal compass of how you want, whoops, how you want that to look and, and feel. And I think that's beautiful. So yeah. I really want to thank you for your time today. It was a very warm, casual conversation. We talked about lots of things. I could sit here for hours and talk to you for so many hours. But I'm conscious of, that's it. I'm you know, conscious of my husband me a cup of tea. Listeners and I think maybe we should post this um, also to the men's groups that they should have a little listen about what women really need. Yes. Um, and, and that's the secret to Shalom Bayat. It's not that hard. It's not complicated. It's the small little things that add up, you know? So thank you so much again for your time. And um, we look forward to a part two. We look forward to a part two and we look forward to... Um, Seeing you continue to flourish in the way that you are. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bye-bye. Pleasure. Bye.